Well, I've been asked by a number of people at St John's to speak on conspiracy theories from a Christian perspective and how we might respond to them. Uh, I have consulted some reputable papers by psychologists, but I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Uh, I'm comfortable speaking about the Bible and law and history, but I have obvious limits. And I know that some of you have far more experience with people who believe in conspiracy theories than I do. Uh, a lot has been written on conspiracy theories, particularly recently with the rise and fall of Donald Trump and the COVID pandemic. The, the Director General of the World Health Organization said last year, we're not just fighting an epidemic, we're fighting an infodemic. Fake news spreads faster and more easily than this virus and is just as dangerous. Well, today I'm going to look at what conspiracies theories are. Then I'm going to sit, consider where they come from uh, and then discuss how we might respond as Christians to people who believe conspiracy theories. This isn't specifically about how to deal with uh, anti-vaxxers because many anti-vaxxers don't believe conspiracy theories. They just don't want the vaccine for, for a whole range of reasons. But some anti-vaxxers do believe in conspiracy theories and, and we will look at those. I'm going to try and be careful because Dr. Matthew Marks, a lecturer in social psychology at Melbourne La Trobe University, has reported that up to 80% of people believe some sort of conspiracy theory. A conspiracy theory has been defined as a belief that some covert but influential organisation is responsible for an unexplained event. Some people take it further and claim the involvement of aliens, but they are a small minority. Psychologists often tie conspiracy theories in with our willingness to believe unreliable sources and misinformation. It's important to note that conspiracy theories have been around for a long time. It, it's not a new phenomenon. Uh, for centuries, the Jews were said to control world finance or deliberately spread disease. There have been waves of anti-Semitism for many hundreds of years, and most have links with conspiracy theories and misinformation. A friend of mine has recently become the rector of St. Stephen's Newtown, he made the interesting comment that conspiracy theories are a modern form of Gnosticism. That's a, a way of thinking that has been around for perhaps 2,000 years. It was a claim by some people to have access to secret knowledge about the nature of the universe. There were probably Jewish Gnostics, but by the second century, there were also Christian Gnostics who believed they had special knowledge about the nature of Christ and what his appearance on earth meant to believers. And they alone had that special knowledge and with that came special power. And the early church had to do a lot to help people keep believing what Jesus had revealed. The thing about Gnostics was that their knowledge was secret. Only a few people were in on those secrets and the Gnostics would not explain where they got their knowledge from in a way that could be checked or verified. And that sounds like a number of modern conspiracy theories. 
For example, that the FBI was behind the assassination of President Kennedy, that humans did not really land on the moon. Some believe the claim that humans are responsible for a lot of climate change is a hoax by lefties or the Chinese trying to undermine the Western world. This is despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Some have said that COVID does not really exist and that vaccines are harmful, that COVID is spread by 5G towers, that the vaccine contains a microchip through which Bill Gates or the Chinese or other malicious forces will control us and take over the world. These theories can have serious consequences. For example, in in reaction to the conspiracy theories that claim that 5G cellular networks are the cause of the disease, over 200 incidents have been reported of attacks against telecom workers in the UK, and numerous mobile telecom masts have been set on fire in the Netherlands. It's been estimated that widespread misinformation on social media on the consumption of highly concentrated alcohol that could supposedly disinfect the body and kill the coronavirus resulted in approximately 800 deaths and nearly 6,000 hospitalizations worldwide. Many people have avoided vaccination because of these theories and become sick and died. These theories are different from doubts caused by mixed messaging or an inability to adapt to new risks, however small that risk might be. Each of us has a a 1 in 20,000 chance of dying on the roads in Australia each year, but we're used to living with that risk. But some have been worried about a 1 in a million chance of dying from the AstraZeneca vaccine. And the fact is that some people process a changing world in different ways to others. Someone known to many of you who is an expert in this field and advises the World Health Organization on immunization has observed that people who avoid vaccination do so for a combination of reasons, usually not a single conspiracy theory. The belief in these theories is a symptom not a cause. It reflects deeper belief systems, strong group identity and different experiences and values. And these are really important. For those who value freedom of movement and choice are very active at the moment. And a theory that helps them reject vaccines and government or mainstream vaccine promotion is going to be attractive. Churches have often been associated with conspiracy theories. A prominent Christian organization in the US has claimed that Dr. Anthony Fauci, the chief US medical officer, and others are engaged in a demonic globalist hoax to deceive and control the population to lay the groundwork for a new world order. It is a prominent Christian organization that said that. So where do these theories come from, besides from some Christian leaders who I think should know better, and some cynical politicians who use them for their own political gain? And why are people willing to believe what they see on the internet or hear from friends, but not from the consensus of experts or traditional sources of news and information? 
In considering where these theories come from, we have to be careful. Because it would be easy for me to say that, biblically speaking, these theories come from Satan. Another name for Satan is the great deceiver. We may think of him leading us away from our trust in Jesus and God's word in the Bible, but it can include believing false prophets, lies and anything that harms us. But it probably wouldn't be helpful to, for me to get out and, and, and say this publicly in a way that would give the secular media a, a chance to run with that. But as Christians, we know that uh, from Matthew chapter 4, for example, that Satan will use and twist scripture against us. I've heard of anti-vaxxers using Revelation 18.23 as a warning against pharmaceutical companies and their vaccines. The book of Revelation warns that pharmacaea will deceive the world. These conspiracy theories equate the Greek word pharmacaea with modern pharmaceutical companies. Uh, there are a number of problems with this, and I'll only have time to mention one. Pharmacaea doesn't only mean medicine. It also means magic. And the prophecy in Revelation was specifically against Babylon, which was a code word for Rome, the superpower of the first century. And John's message was very simple to people who knew. Uh, the message was that Rome's power including the sense that its apparently invincible army had that magical power, would be lost. So the prophecy was fulfilled 1,500 years ago when the Roman Empire collapsed. A number of people have commented that some Christians seem particularly susceptible to conspiracy theories. I know Uncle Ray is working at a very high level with government and other Aboriginal leaders to try and help Aboriginal Christians who have been scared off vaccination by false teaching. But given the history of Indigenous people in Australia, you can understand why they don't believe the government always knows and what is best for them. Uh, one reason Christians may fall for conspiracy theories is that we're used to vivid imagery in the Bible, like the forces of darkness while others are distrustful of alternative systems of knowledge which challenge a literalist reading of scripture. Flat earthers and people who believe the universe was made in seven consecutive periods of 24 hours are fond of conspiracy theories because they feel attacked by people who show them photos of a round earth taken in space uh, or what we learn from archaeology about an old, old world. Uh, and from scientists who calculate the rate of expansion of the universe and, and from many other areas of science that show that the universe is over 13 billion years old. If you feel under attack from science, you'll grab hold of anything that makes sense to you, including a conspiracy theory that rejects science, or at least that part of science that you don't like. The COVID vaccine has been equated with the mark of the beast in Revelation 13. But John, the author of Revelation, used 666 as code to refer to the Roman high priest of proconsul Asia, in modern-day Turkey, who was prosecuting Christians in the first century. John had to speak in code 
because he feared the Romans would kill him. So the beast died 1900 years ago. And we don't have to worry about addresses or phone numbers or logos that include 666. It's easy for me to say that the biblical arguments of anti-vaxxers go against all accepted standards of biblical interpretation and are just plain wrong. But their fear of expert knowledge is probably going to stop me from showing them how the passages really work. Somehow, as part of the intellectual elite, I become part of the conspiracy. A one-hand-held sign at the anti-lockdown demonstration in July said, the blood of Jesus will protect me. Even though theologians have been saying from at least the third century that belief in the person and work of Jesus will save us from our sins and hell, but we are as susceptible to illness as anyone else. I love these people's faith, but it's just a faith that is misplaced and, and, and doesn't deal properly with the way that Jesus reveals himself to us. A pastor called Greg Locke has stood in a pulpit in the US and said, only crack-smoking leftists believe Joe Biden won the election. I resent that because I've never smoked crack. But there were over 40 cases brought in US courts about the last presidential election, often before Republican-appointed judges. All failed, every one. Intelligent, rational, presumably non-crack-smoking judges threw them out. No credible evidence was produced that showed widespread voter fraud or problems in the way the count was taken. But allegedly, still over 50% of Republican voters believe the election was stolen. No evidence, no intelligent, rational thought. It is not just that they did not get the result they wanted. The Republican voters are genuinely fearful of hidden liberal forces and intellectual elites. It seems to me that vanity, not just fear, may lie behind some theories. You can build a big social media following or a big church by being outspoken and controversial. No doubt these people justify their views and antics by saying they're trying to do good, but popularity can be addictive. And the Bible warns us that the human heart can be deceitful. So why are people fearful? And why do people believe conspiracy theories or unreliable sources of information? We should acknowledge that some people are suspicious because people in power have often told lies to protect their interests. The big tobacco companies lied for decades about the harmful effects of tobacco. The makers of thalidomide hid the evidence that their wonder drug caused birth defects. Many energy companies have fought climate science until very recently and some still are. Every country in the world has problems with government corruption. Politicians who'd lie or manipulate the truth for their own advantage. Some of the current theories are motivated or justified by claims that medical experts are in it for the money, uh, which is absurd. Researchers and immunologists wouldn't put up with their working environments for the money. 
There's got to be an easier way to make money than do what they do. Australia has been sliding down the international corruption scale for a number of years now. Uh, There is a tricky area between, on the one hand, wise suspicion and putting the powerful to the proof, and on the other hand, making things up or, or twisting things to produce conspiracy theories. It takes more confidence and more patience than many people have to remain suspicious than to jump to unproven conclusions. I have no idea whether COVID-19 came from a bat or a Chinese laboratory, and I will suspend judgment unless and until there is compelling proof one way or the other. But some people are not so patient. A study show that conspiracy theories develop when people are fearful or, or challenging things are happening, and either we don't trust the people explaining those things, or we don't like the in- explanations that are given. Uh, a big study of eight Western developed countries showed that great exposure to greater exposure to traditional media such as television, radio, and newspapers is associated with lower conspiracy and misinformation beliefs. While exposure to individual politicians such as Trump and digital media and personal contacts are associated with greater conspiracy and misinformation beliefs. And apparently 25% of Australians get their news almost exclusively from social media. If you listen to the ABC, read the Sydney Morning Herald and only information The only information you get from the internet are what your friends are doing and articles in reputable journals, you are going to have a different view on the world around you than if you get your information about the world from social media, fringe bogs, and either extreme right-wing or extreme left-wing sources. Clearly one problem is the amount of information we have access to now and the innumerable ways it can be conveyed. Once there were books and newspapers and journals. They took time to write and then read and were relatively expensive to publish. They had to pass editors and often expert review. Now there is almost instant publication via social media, usually with no checks for accuracy. Once we communicated in families and small villages and local communities and we knew who was wise and could be trusted... And if we believed a fool, the impact was limited. Now we have hundreds or thousands of Facebook friends and influencers who reach millions of people. The World Wide Web is huge, and I hear the Deep Web is bigger still. Although conspiracy theories have been around for a long time, they seem to have become more common recently. And this seems to be because of a rising level of polarisation of politics and society generally and the pervasive effects of the internet and the means of communication it supports. The polarisation works at a number of levels. Clearly there are higher levels of antagonism and distrust between Western countries like America and Australia and countries like China. We see this in concerns about the source of the virus the end game of climate change wars and concerns about cyber security. The more apparent enemies we have, the more distrustful we become. 
There is growing political polarisation in many countries between liberal and conservative world views, particularly in America. There is social polarisation between perceived intellectual uh, elites and people who feel looked down on and excluded. While most Australians may stay away from Anon and the more extreme forms of conspiracy theories, there are quite a few people who take comfort from people like Barnaby Joyce and Alan Jones who stand up against the elites who want to change our lives because of so-called threats from climate change and COVID. And the combination of disadvantage, social alienation and racism will always drive neo-Nazis. It's interesting that studies show that exposure to health experts is is associated with lower conspiracy beliefs. Most people think that Dr Kerry Chant and Brendan Murphy can be trusted and have done a good job, even if the federal government has failed us in a number of ways. The study found that rumours, conspiracy theories and alternative truths tend to thrive in environments of high fear, low confidence and low trust. In social groups where distrust in traditional news media is higher, people are less likely to be exposed to different sources of political information and to critically evaluate those sources. In numerous recent studies, it's been demonstrated that this continuous and unprecedented sense of uncertainty is inevitably related to increased levels of stress and psychological distress. Some people have turned to the internet for explanations on what is happening to allay their fears. But Google does not filter for accuracy and reliability. It filters for popularity and uh, its calculation of our existing preferences. So getting more stuff from Google searches, rather than reducing anxious or depressive feelings, has often resulted in higher susceptibility to conspiracy beliefs and greater fear. Exposure to COVID-19 related information through traditional news media sources, such as newspapers, radio and television, is associated in lower beliefs in conspiracy theories and misinformation, while exposure to digital media to acquire COVID-19 information is associated with greater conspiracy beliefs and misinformation in, in all countries. So what to do? How are Christians to deal with this? How should Christians respond? Uh, I have a number of suggestions. First, we should resist the temptation thrown up by Satan to see these people as fools, as lesser people. The first words Satan utters in the Bible are, did God really say that? Sowing seeds about what God says. And Satan's been doing that ever since. So he must keep seeing other people as God sees them. God tells us that we are each made in the image of God and of great value to him as he gave his one and only son for each one of us. And therefore we should treat each person with respect and care, however fearful, wrong and misinformed they may appear to us. And I know how hard that can be. I have friends and family who believe in conspiracy theories. 
And people don't usually respond well to being told they are irrational or that they should get their information from traditional sources of information. For them, they are part of the problem, fake news. And abuse just leads to more isolation and polarisation. We need to recognise that we're all different. And people often have multiple reasons for acting or believing something. The lack of intelligence is often not an issue. Uh, some clever people distrust the science of other people. Also, background is not a determinative factor. Some families and communities have more people who believe conspiracy theories than others, but not all in those families and communities do, and some people are alone in their families in believing conspiracy theories. Whatever we do, we need to approach each person with care and try and work out the complex issues that may be moving them. But I don't think we have to drown in epistemic humility. That's the view that there is so much we don't know, we should be very cautious about what we claim to know and give others the benefit of the doubt. Now, that's okay up to a point. I know I'm not an expert in medicine or immunology or climate change, but that does not mean that I cannot learn from the real experts, rely on their expert advice and share that advice. That is a wise and loving thing to do. And science is set up to help with that. There is peer review. And from that, we should take a lot of confidence. Nor is it wise to let people who believe in conspiracy theories to get away with their false information or assume positions of power. Uh, freedom of speech and diversity of views are not absolutes. They need to be balanced against the real threat of COVID and climate change. A lecturer at Moore College has said that relying on expertise might sound elitist, but it's grounded in the biblical principle that we have different gifts. And that is where our second passage comes in today. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26, reminds us that all parts of the body, from the most prominent to the most overlooked, serve an essential role as part of the greater whole. There's no room in Christianity for disdain for the humble and often thankful, thankless works of cleaners, food processors and truck drivers. And there's likewise no room for dismissing the essential role of scientists, doctors and public health experts. We all have a role to play. Paul said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it so there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Science is one of the products of the Christian worldview. We should be careful how we use it and careful to not ignore it. The scientific approach is based primarily on evidence. Of course, there are parts of science that are theoretical, but the parts that are the subject of conspiracy theories tend to be the ones that are based on observation and evidence. And climate change is based on millions of observations over decades. 
thousands of articles have been produced in peer-reviewed, reputable journals. It's not based on one person's guesses, but the considered thoughts of many, many specialists. The evidence behind the beneficial impact of vaccines is huge and again has been retested and pulled apart over decades. So we should treat people with respect, but hold the line on what can be shown from reliable and expert sources. Second, as we saw in our first reading, Jesus mentions not being fearful or anxious on a number of occasions because he knows that is what people do. He's not saying we should pretend that risks don't exist, but we should not let them dominate us. He helps us with the truth about his power and our place in his plans. His truth will set us free from overbearing anxiety. But more generally, good science is part of God's truth as we find out more and more about the way he created things. So we should make sure we access reliable sources of information and resist the temptation to pass on rumours or things that might be untrue. We're not following Jesus' command to be as wise as serpents if we're swayed by the emotional manipulation of a conspiracy theory or a slickly produced video. And we're not harmless as doves if we spread misinformation or sow confusion in the midst of a global health emergency. Third, we should carefully and respectfully try to dissuade our friends and family from believing and passing on conspiracy theories and misinformation. This falls within the general command to love our neighbours, as Colin spoke about earlier. I know there is no point in fighting fights we know will will go nowhere. Few fights on Facebook are worth fighting. If an argument is brewing, we should ask ourselves, what does love look like here? Or what good is likely to come from this? Uh, This approach of avoiding pointless arguments has its own problems, because some things we can no longer talk about are a core of daily living. I suspect the weather has been a topic of conversation since humans first learnt to speak, but it's hard to speak about record highs and lows and bushfires, droughts and flood without mentioning climate change. And the way out of the pandemic is real for all of us, so I'm not going to give up on encouraging vaccination. But clearly, with some people, talking about climate change and vaccination is really, really problematic. I recognise it is hard to hold families and friendships together if there are too many no-go areas of conversation. But we need to try. Fourth, we should try harder to elect honest and responsible politicians and encourage honest, community-orientated work by politicians and strive to hold them to account. For the more trust our society has in our politicians, the less need there is for alternative explanations of the problems we face. And we must uh, insist that they answer our questions in Parliament and in the media. Likewise, we should urge our politicians to resist concentration of media ownership because if your main local source of news is owned by one powerful source with their own agenda 
you may well go looking for other, even more unreliable sources of news. But equally, we should value the impartiality of the ABC if it only favours the socially progressive Conservatives will look to less reliable sources of information. In a similar way, this church must be a safe place for Liberal, Green, Labour and Independent voters. Fifth, given the role that some church leaders play in spreading conspiracy theories, we should make sure we appoint ministers who have the character exemplified by Jesus and described by Paul in his pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus self-controlled, holy, not quick-tempered, not overbearing, of sound judgment, humble, not vain or egotistical, and willing to do the hard work to test what is true and what is not. And we should continue to value biblical scholarship. A degree from more college is no guarantee that we will get everything right all the time, but there is a better chance A preacher with a good biblical education will understand genre and imagery and symbolism and know what to do with them. The two most abused books in the Bible are Daniel and Revelation because they both use a lot of vivid symbolism. But Daniel is primarily a book of encouragement to 3rd and 2nd century BC Israel who were suffering horribly from the Greek overlords and most of the imagery is satire of their overlords, all of whom died over 2,000 years ago. Likewise, Revelation was written primarily to early Christians who were suffering through Roman persecution. Revelation is not an invitation to every subsequent generation to try and guess when the world will end, which Jesus himself said he did not know. I'm thinking of looking at the book of Daniel next year, not only because it is a great read, but to help us understand how to read it and avoid some of the mistakes that are made with it. Six, there is prayer. Prayer for God's help to let fear not overcome us or others and for us to work out what information to trust. And prayer for those who are tempted by conspiracy theories and misinformation and our relationships with them. But the thing that underlies most of these is the importance of seeing the place that fear plays. For fear twists the way we understand and respond to problems and the way we listen to God. But God shows us that trust is the best answer to fear. Trust in our politicians, our ministers, our experts and our sources of information. Trust in our God that he loves us and will never let us go. Trust he will show us what is best for us and when we listen to him. And trust that he does care about how we live our lives and care for others. In him we will find the truth and the way ahead. Thank you and Amen.